I think you have to pick and choose your moments. Um, and that, you know, 30 seconds into the second half was not the moment and it really killed the game. 09 and Ballard doing very well to kind of contain Alexander Isak in the first kind of 35 minutes. I don't think this game was ever going to define Sunderland's season. Hello and welcome to the Raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. My name's James Copley and I was joined by Joe Nicholson today for our episode looking back at Sunderland's loss to Newcastle United. Unfortunately, there was a little bit of an uh, issue with Joe's audio, but we discuss that match against Newcastle. Sunderland obviously losing 3-0 at the Stadium of Light. You can find this podcast on Shots TV, Freeview Channel 276 along with Spotify, Acast, iTunes and all other good podcast places. We're also available on YouTube and you can stay across the Sunderland Echoes coverage of Sunderland AFC on Facebook, Twitter and all social media channels. Enjoy the pod, guys. James, you've had a few days now to reflect on it, on what was on Saturday. How do you kind of review the match now, kind of a few days on from the game? Um, I think very mixed feelings. It was it was very nice to have the derbies back, the build up, all of that sort of stuff. Um, you sort of forget how much of an occasion it is in and around the ground. Watching the Newcastle fans turn up and the uh, the banter between Sunderland fans and Newcastle, it was good. I thought it was policed well. I know there was a lot of concern about the bubble trip, um, about the six thousand fans. But from what I can tell, everything went down in terms of safety. Uh, as it should have, which is good because we all want a, a safe and good experience for both sets of fans. So credit to the police on that because uh, I think I was one of a number of people that voiced the doubts on that matter and it, it seemed to go down well. Um, the game itself, I was disappointed with Sunderland, I think. Um, obviously, that's caveated with you know the fact that Newcastle are a former Champions League side, top-end Premier League team, battling for top four. Uh, and Sunderland are a championship side with a championship squad, albeit with some very, very good young players. I think my disappointment lies in Sunderland's tactics, really. I think if you cast your mind back to the Hull game, Hull away on Boxing Day, Sunderland changed their style a little bit. They sat off Hull, the midfield didn't break forward because they knew that they would get picked off in midfield and they didn't want to do that. So they didn't play to Hull's hands, they didn't press high, um, and, they, and they did set off a bit at times uh, in the first half. Whereas if you fast forward to the Newcastle game, I don't really feel like Sunderland tried to alter the tactics from the most recent championship games, really. They put out the same side, you know, same formation. And in midfield, they were just overrun a little bit. It was a real tough afternoon for for Equar, Bellingham and Neil, although I thought Neil did have a good game in, in, in parts. But I felt like Sunderland needed to be compact. They needed two banks of four. They needed to force Newcastle out wide. Newcastle had so much joy through the middle. And listen, this is a very, very good Newcastle side, but it is possible to, you know, to set up and frustrate teams. Sunderland didn't do that. You know, I am a massive, massive PR Equal fan. I've I've defended him, you know, a lot, especially when he first came to the club, and I will continue to defend him. He's made a mistake and, and we shouldn't crucify him for the second goal. But when that's your principles and and you want to play out from the back absolutely fair enough but I think you have to pick and choose your moments um, and that you know 30 seconds into the second half was not the moment and it really killed the game Newcastle may well have, have gone on to win it anyway 
But yeah, I think Michael Beale's tactics for me were disappointing. I think, Joe, you, you'll be able to speak a little bit about this as well. But if you look at Middlesbrough, Aston Villa in the FA Cup, I thought Michael Carrick set up really well despite Middlesbrough losing that game. They were compact. They've got a, a similar age age squad to Sunderland. Um, Villa are on a, a similar level to Newcastle, but you know Middlesbrough really sat in, ultimately lost the game. Um, but it was af- after Aston Villa, you know, made some pretty hefty changes, uh, and Middlesbrough had chances in that game as well. So I was I was disappointed because I thought it was a it was a failure to sort of recognise the magnitude of what they were facing and, and adjust accordingly, um, which I think was a shame. And there was a few decent performances in there for Sunderland, but. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one to take if you're a Sunderland fan because you don't like to to lose to Newcastle three 0 But there there are mitigating circumstances within that. But all eyes on the league now, and you know, I don't think this game was ever going to define Sunderland's season. I think that's for sure. Uh, I think the you know the proof and the pudding of of this ownership and and the way Sunderland are doing things is going to come in the form of the league. Mm, yeah, I think as you say, I don't think it was ever going to define Sunderland's season. But I thought they were actually defending pretty well up until that first goal. Really, I thought. Nine and Ballard doing very well to kind of contain Alexander Isak in the first kind of 35 minutes. I thought Ballard was actually playing excellently until the own goal, and then his head kind of dropped a little bit, and um, Sunderland kind of lost that shape defensively. And, and then obviously the goal right after half time kind of really killed it as a contest. But you mentioned back to that whole game, and I think it just showed kind of and quality in Sunderland just weren't able to to get their key players into the game. Jack Clark in particular, I think that's a key battle between him and Trippier. Head of the game, we kind of identified could kind of get at Trippier, who was an injury out before the game, and he just wasn't able to do that. And Trippier actually, it was quite obvious from quite early on when it was pitch that he was kind of overlapping on the outside of Almiron, and that to Elise two and one, it was, it was quite difficult for him. But I think, do you think it just showed kind of the step up in quality going from playing championship games every week to side? It was pretty much Newcastle's strongest team, wasn't it? When you looked at the team sheet, probably only was the only injured player that would have been involved. I know they do have quite a few injuries, but it's Newcastle's strongest side. And I think it kind of showed, didn't it? Yeah, I think there are positives to take from a from a Sunderland point of view, although they are quite small. And it's, say, somebody like Trey Hume, for instance, has looked really good for Sunderland in the Championship this season. He struggled up against Newcastle because they were overlapping, as you say, bombing on. Um, Alessi the same as well, Sunderland's left-back on the day. But, you know, that's the level these lads want to get to. And I would back a few of them to get there as well, particularly Joe Bellingham, Equa, Hume and Dan Neal as well, a, a sort of three or four that I would say could make it to that level one day if they continue. It was tough on... for Bellingham as well, wasn't it? As well. Bellingham was kind of, he had to man Mark Bruno Gamares and that was a really tough job for him. Yeah, abso- absolutely. But, but for those players, I think... That's that's the standard they've got to get to, and it's a massive learning curve. Possibly even a little bit of a wake up call. That they've been progressing nicely, and you know they've been getting the plaudits as well when when Sunderland win games, and, and rightly so because they performed well. But maybe it's a little bit of a reality check as well, in the sense that you know there's still a, a lot of work to do and a, a long way to go. Um, and hopefully, in the long run, it's sort of beneficial for them. I, I remember Tony Mowbray last season saying that the the games against Fulham, the original tie in the replay gave them a lot of confidence um that they could play football and and you know challenge teams in the championship and they, they performed so well against Fulham who are a Premier League side that perhaps they could they could do something in the championship that gave them a lot of confidence. You hope this doesn't ruin Sunderland's confidence, but you do hope that it's a little bit of a wake up call to say like, right, okay, that's the standard we need to get to. But 
I think with these young players that were mentioning as well, there's only so much they can do. They are developing nicely. Um, and it's perhaps unfair to to compare them even really to this Newcastle team where they're all very experienced pros that have, have cost a, a lot of money or the majority of, of Newcastle's squad were. I know they were fielding a 17-year-old as well. But I think ultimately Michael Beale needs a bit of help because Alex Neal, Tony Mowbray and Michael Beale have all said during their tenure as, as Sunderland head coach that they've looked behind them, or words to, words to this effect, that they've looked behind them and they've thought, well, we can't change the game. And I think that is a that is a, a recurring theme and, and fans can see it. Sunderland lack a bit of experience. They lack an out-and-out goal scorer um, and they lack depth to change games. You know, not saying that some of those lads on the bench won't come good eventually because I'm sure they will, but I think it's very clear for all to see that that's what Sunderland's like. And thankfully, it's the January transfer window, so it's got a chance of being rectified. But the flip side to that is, you know, will Sunderland double down again like they did in the summer and, and bring in more inexperience, yes, exciting young players who have the potential to progress? But, you know, is it what Sunderland need now? I think possibly they might need to address what's happening with the squad and the squad deficiencies now rather than later. I'm all for investing in youth. Obviously, some of the best stories at Sunderland over the past couple of years have, have been the youth players that have come in or, or you know, players that we've we've helped mature and bring on, like Jack Clark, Hume, Patrick Roberts. I know he's 26 now, but he's probably 24-ish when he came to the club. Um, you know, Dennis Serkin, those types of players. It's been great to watch them grow, but I think you've got to give these lads a, a little bit of help now and and um and, and yeah, add some real metal and experience and a, a bit of a bit of grittiness, a bit of nastiness to that to that Sunderland side. I think, and, and don't just take my word from it for it as well, because you know you, you have Roy Keane on 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 uh, ITV punditry duty saying the same. The likes of Tony Cascarino on on Talk Sports saying that Sunderland lacked um, Sunderland lacked experience and a bit of metal. And I think an experienced head does possibly manage that game a little bit better. Maybe even a more experienced head coach, dare I say, might might manage that game a little bit better. I don't know if that's too harsh on Michael Beale or not. Um, but yeah, it's it an interesting day for, for a number of reasons. Uh, what I will say is that the atmosphere, I thought, in the Stadium of Light was absolutely brilliant. Um, I know there was a lot said before the game about Newcastle United getting the North stand and we can talk and debate about that and... What happened to the Black Cats bars, you know, an absolute disgrace. But I actually thought the atmosphere was aided in the stadium from having some fans in the lower bowl. Um, you know, you probably don't want 6,000 Newcastle games, uh, 6,000 Newcastle fans in every game. But um, I thought having fans in the North Stand, it did help the atmosphere. Although in the lead up to the game, you know, season ticket holders should never have been displaced and, and whatnot. And, you know, the Black Cats bar, what happened there has, has been... been you know, not good. So there's still a lot of questions off the field to be answered as well. And yeah, as I say, never nice to lose three nil. But I thought Sunderland fans especially could could hang their head up high because they were they were superb throughout. Just looking at the Sunderland bench, Sunderland did have a few injuries with people like Bradley Dax unavailable, Smith Sirkins out, and Roberts as well. It was obviously a big loss as well. But are there any players on that bench that you could have brought on sooner? Uh, I looked at it and thought maybe Yoshish could have come on, but it does really show kind of the, there was a lack of options on the bench and could Beal have done much to change the game when it was kind of just drifting in that second? Um, I think it's an interesting question. Obviously, you mentioned that there was a lack of sort of a ready-made thing to to come on and change the game. Obviously, he only made one substitute during the whole game, as you mentioned. I can read you the players that were on the bench. Well, obviously, it was Bishop was, was the goalkeeper, trying to seal Oshish, 
Bursto, Hamir, play. So they were the nine substitutes. Yeah, I think the the one the one Sunderland fans would have been most keen to see just because I think there's been a little bit of a clamour for him because he's so talented as Chris Rigg. We haven't seen him really for a while. He's sort of on the bench, off the bench. Uh, he's been playing for Sunderland in the FA Youth Cup. He's been playing for the under-21s. He's at a funny time in his development. I think he's got 10 or 11 first-team appearances now over the season and a half since he made his debut. A couple of goals in there as well against Southampton and Crew Alexander this season. Uh, and I think... Sunderland fans would have liked to have to have seen sort of his youthful exuberance. The flip side of that is that I completely understand why he wasn't put on just because he's 16. It's a local derby. Um, he would have been fired up for it. Biggest, biggest day of his career. Um, by far, you know, his, a lot of his family are Newcastle fans, so he, he will have been wanting to prove a point game live on ITV. You know, I'm, I'm not saying it would have ended in disaster, but it could have ended in disaster. You never know, like... It probably needs protecting from himself in in that situation. Maybe not that I'm saying Chris would definitely would have come on and got a red card or something. But you know, it, really, what benefit was there to bringing him on when Sunderland were two or three nil down? Probably not a lot. But it would have been good experience for him, and I could understand um, why Sunderland fans want him on because he's he's clearly a talent. And I think that comes from a little bit of frustration that we haven't actually seen um, a great deal of him recently. I think the other substitutes. Hamia, is he ready? No, from what we've seen this season, he, he's not ready to play against Premier League opposition, doesn't look ready to play against Championship opposition at the moment, so there was never any chance of, of him coming on. Aushush, I think, yeah, you could make a case for, for him coming on, absolutely. Uh, out of the other forward players, you had Burstow, who hasn't scored in a Sunderland shirt yet. Yes, he has some pedigree, as he's on loan from Chelsea and has come up through the youth ranks there, but was he going to come on and change the game? No. I think the issue really lies in the squad strength and the squad depth. But yeah, as I said earlier, it's telling now, I think that three three Sunderland head coaches have sort of made similar comments. Um, and you know, Michael Beale was appointed, what, three weeks ago? And the message was that he is fully aligned. But really, when he's got down into it and when the results have started coming and the games have started coming, is he that aligned Really, because he's he's now making comments that he can't bring on anybody from the bench to try and change the game, which I know it's against Premier League opposition, and I know you're trying to to not get hammered against against Newcastle United, and you know you don't want it to be four or five nil. But for me, I think that's pretty pretty telling, really, in terms of where this squad is. And I don't want uh, to crucify the lads on the bench either, because I think you know hopefully they're going to become good players for Sunderland. But yeah, it's. It's a really tough balancing act, and I don't, you know, I don't envy the club's decision makers. But I think we've just adjusted the parameters a little bit too far, and they need to be adjusted a bit further back. Um, I don't think that's unreasonable, and that's not to say that the overarching strategy at the club isn't a good one. You know, I think picking up people like Ross Stewart and Jack Clark and Patrick Roberts, developing Dan Neal and Anthony Patterson. Elliot Elmerton before them is a good thing for Sunderland. Utilising the academy, absolutely. Selling players for a profit as long as it's reinvested is a good, sound strategy for Sunderland. But at some point, when you are strong and when you have good players at the club, you do have to invest a little bit yourself and you do have to provide head coaches with the tools that they need to get the job done. And at the moment, I don't think that's really happened yet, albeit Sunderland's form in the league is, is decent and they're still up and around the 
the playoff positions, they just, for me, feel like they need that little bit more. There's no Ahmad. That Stardust has gone. Could he come back in January? I don't know. Obviously, we only had Ross Stewart for 12, 13 games, but he managed to get 11 goals in in those games last season, which ended up being vital, actually, in terms of Sunderland um, getting a, a playoff position. So, the missing quality, the missing experience, the li- missing a little bit of Stardust... As I say, not a knock on the players that are there. I think it's just uh, the fact of the re- reality of this Sunderland squad at the moment. So Sunderland have changed it up a little bit tactically because they were trying to come back for the, the second goal, trying to play on the edge of his own box. But there were a couple of times when the ball was with Anson. He flipped it just forward, Pritchard in the pocket of space. And that created a few openings for Sunderland. Could they have done that more, perhaps in that second, to try and get back in the game? Uh, yeah, I think so. As I mentioned before, I think trying to trying to play out for the bat against the Premier League team is suicidal to a degree. I know we had joy against Fulham last season, but it, it's a little bit of a different team and Fulham play a little bit differently to Newcastle. And Newcastle are just a better side than Fulham. Fulham are a, a good, solid Premier League side. and But Newcastle, I think, are something else at the moment. You know, Bruno's a £60 million player and they've, they've got a lot of them. Kieran Trippier. How much was Anthony Gordon purchased by Newcastle from yeah, Everton? Yeah. So it was, a, it, was, yeah. it was a lot of money. So there's a there's an obvious gulf. But, you know, smart tactics can go somewhere towards negating that gulf. And I, I don't think Sunderland did that. As I say, it was it was the same lineup from Sunderland's previous game um, in, in the Championship. It was the same tactics and, you know, Patterson nearly got caught out a couple of times on the ball. Equa did get caught out a couple of times on the ball. thought Ballard and O'Nine were, were okay for the most part. Obviously, Ballard were lucky to get those mistakes in. But you just wanted to see something tactically a little bit different. Could Sunderland have gone five at the back? Could they have changed the, the style of play? You know, they needed to be pragmatic. I don't think there's there's anything good that can come from from sticking to your playing out from the back principles when you when you're facing Newcastle United's first team. Uh, when they're top four Premier League side and you're a top six Championship side, given the the net spend and the outlays on squads, I think Newcastle's is something like three hundred million in the last two or three or four windows, something like that. Whereas Sunderland's is probably looking at about an outlay of like tops twenty, and that's probably been generous and including the add-ons as well. Uh, so yeah, tactics needed to change. I thought it was, I thought it was yeah bordering on sort of gung-ho really when it didn't need to be and that midfield was just completely cut apart and as you mentioned a, a pretty tough day for Joe Bellingham I'm sure he wanted to show more than more than that but at the end of the day he's 18 years old so it was always going to be really tough for him as I say the flip side of that is that they now know the standard they need to bank that experience they need to use that experience to try and get Sunderland and themselves personally to, to where they want to be in football you mentioned earlier about the the black cats. It was a damaging experience. They weren't seeing losing this against a big team, but just how damaging a week could have been. Obviously, with the, with the black and then the three 0 defeat against Newcastle, moving on to the rest of the games in the championship season. Um, I think they have to try and they have to try and not let them affect it too much, and realise that they were. They were playing a Premier League team with an awful lot of money behind them, but going into Ipswich Town on Saturday is a very, very tough game. And in the one after Hull, um, the following Friday, that's a tough game as well because Hull are a Hull are a really good side. Obviously, Ipswich Town have been a surprise package. Um, they've suffered a, a couple of losses recently. 
But I think you know everyone's waiting for the the wheels to to fall off off Ipswich Town, and it, it's if it's going to happen, it's happening a lot later than people sort of predicted. They've been up there now for um, well since the season started. They're currently second, obviously with fifty five points from twenty six. So really, Sunderland, if they are serious about the top six aspirations, Ipswich Town and Hull City. Two massive tests. Obviously, they, they did well against Hull City on Boxing Day, so it's a quick turnaround really from that game. A lot of football played in between, obviously, but two teams familiar with each other. Liam Rossini, extremely bright coach, as is Kieran McKenna in Ipswich Town, and you hope Michael Beale now can show something tactically because at Hull on Boxing Day, I was I was pretty pleased with his with his tactics and, and the adjustments that he made, but it's been tough going since then. I think tactically for Sunderland and. He's going to have to be at his absolute best tactically to to beat Kieran McKenna's Ipswich Town and Liam Rossini's Hull City. The the two massive games, obviously Ipswich Town away from home, Hull City at the Stadium of Light. You know these are big games. Um, Sunderland sixth on forty points at the moment. Hull are just behind them on thirty nine and seventh. Coventry breathing down both clubs' necks as a Cardiff. You've got Watford, Bristol City, Middlesbrough in and around it as well on 36 points. Norwich City, Preston, you know, on 35 points. So that's not a very big gap from from 6th to 14th. And even below that, there's the likes of Millwall, Swansea and and Blackburn Rovers who are only sort of three points off joining in that little sort of mini league as it's developed in the championship. So as we always say, a couple of losses, you can see yourself falling backwards. So we have to be very, very careful against that, I think. But hopefully, yeah, Sunderland will get a, a couple of good results. But make no mistake, two two massive games. And it doesn't matter whether you're Sunderland in the Championship or Sunderland in the Premier League or what mitigation there is. Losing to Newcastle is never, never good, never good for your popularity. And it's 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 never good for the for the, the sort of manager's lifespan. So hopefully Sunderland can bounce back. We'll wrap it up there. I'm sure we'll have plenty more to discuss the rest of the month the January transfer window hello James Copley here once again just a second apology for the quality of, of Joe's audio there we hope you enjoyed this podcast and just a reminder to check out all of our coverage regarding Sunderland AFC across social media and that you could watch this podcast on the television on Shots TV TV channel 276 on Freeview and a reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, that you can subscribe in all of your podcast places. Thank you once again for listening, and we'll catch you soon.